It's Wednesday, January 27th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 390 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 47 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is John. This is Julia. And this is Brodor. No announcements or such silliness today, so let's roll right into it. Brodor, the topic is yours. Go. So a buddy of mine, he's preparing a Pathfinder game because we are anticipating for the Game of Thrones game that we're getting ready to start from a different game master to not have legs. So in his preparation... Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> what, wait. You, are, you are already getting ready for the rebound guy before this relationship has even begun. That's correct. <laughs> Why don't you just... Start the Pathfinder uh, game. Because. This is a bit like. No, this is a better topic than your topic. Shut yeah. up, Rotor. We're talking about this. Th- this is a bit like going up in an airplane uh, and you have the parachute uh, not as a fallback plan, but this is a given part of the plan. Like, like that you're going to crash. Yes. When this, we are prepared already that when this plane starts to crash and burn, we're going to jump. I try not to talk on people who are not here to defend themselves. But you don't have to right. name names. So, yeah, so, don't name anybody. So here, there will be no names. But Game Master A wants to run a Game of Thrones game. And we're going to use the, I, I couldn't tell you, forgive me, I don't know the name of the company that published it, but the most recent Game of Thrones games, it's kind of L5R-ish, except with D6s where you roll a set number of dice and keep a set number of dice and try to get a total, right? And so you've decided to give him the Game of Game of Thrones throne. Yes, preci- precisely. And like a proper Game of Thrones game, the rest of us are already conspiring to do something <laughs> that is wow. not his desire. But any anyway, so <laughs> So he's going to run a game, but this particular Game Master, Game Master A, has a history of games never getting off the ground uh, and, and and either A, only one session being done. That's merciful. Right. Or it just never comes to fruition at ever. We might create characters for the game and then it just kind of peters out. So okay. in anticipation of this occurring, Game Master B. <laughs> okay, time out. <laughs> So why are you indulging this at all? Yeah. Why not just say, I- I'm going to call Sky Hubert. Yeah. So why not just say, <laughs> Hubert, that's a very Game of Thrones name, yeah. right? So just say, Hubert, <laughs> look, we understand. It would be like Hugh Baird with, it, with, an, with an EA. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or the Univision yeah. version, Humberto. <laughs> but why not just say to this guy, look, Hubert, we accept that you want to run a game, but I mean, can't you even do something passive aggressive here? To keep him out of the GMing seat? Because as gamers, when it comes to your friends, you are weak and you are cowardly and you indulge them. And so this guy uh, says, I'm inspired and I want to run a game. And you as his friends say, okay, you know what? You're inspired and you want to run a game and we want to support no. you. No. You call a plebiscite <laughs> and you throw it from the beginning. You Hitler the vote. Well, but here's here's the interesting thing about it, right? This is the first time that I'll be playing in one of Humberto's games, right? Okay. And we sat down as a group, and we did a group template, and we made characters. And I got to tell you, I'm excited to play the game, right? I like my character. I like the other characters in the party. I like the mechanics of the game, what I've seen so far, because it seems like L5R, but better, or at least 
easier, sort of a savage version of L5R. Schemer is a character class. I do admire that. I I am excited about it, right? I I want to play the game, so I want to see the game succeed, right? And I'm fully in, like, I'm going to go out and buy the book for the damn game. That's how excited I am about playing the game, because I want to have a better grasp of the rules, right? Okay. But... Everyone else who has had this experience multiple times is anticipating, look, yes, we're all excited about playing, but it may not go anywhere. So uh, let's call him John Aaron. John Aaron decided, (laughs) you know, before he's, you know, killed by Littlefinger, uh, spoiler alert, that that he's going to prepare a Pathfinder game. Right. And so he's like, hey, and can I get to the point now? Okay, go ahead. So he approached me and he said, hey, Mike, you know, you've run a lot of games over the years and we used to play this Pathfinder game that you ran. And I really liked the city that you ran the game in and a lot of the background and a lot of the NPCs. And can I have your notes? And so I was like, huh, okay, yeah, you can have my notes because that's my gut reaction. He's my buddy and I want to help him out and I want to give him my notes. Then I thought about it and I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to give somebody my notes. It's my notes. It's my stuff. It's my it's my thoughts. It's my jottings. It's my ramblings. And it's utterly confusing and disorganized. But more importantly, Mm. it's mine. Right. And I know that's irrational. I know that it's selfish. But part of me was like. I don't know if I want to share this. No, it's work product. It's non-discoverable under any circumstance. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's how it works in the law. That's that's why we have the official Fear the Boot Attorney. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) So, of course, I've got one big, thick binder that's got a bunch of notes from a variety of different games over the years. And I grab grab a notebook, and I'm going to take it to him, and maybe subconsciously I forgot. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't, maybe it was deliberate. Maybe. I don't know. But I forgot to bring in my notes. But then I thought about it. I was like, you know what? There are a lot of really interesting, exciting, brave people out there that do entire websites and wikis dedicated to the campaigns that they run, right? They're brave and they take all this creative energy and they just put it out there to be judged. And so it made me think about it. And ultimately, I think it's because I'm a coward. Right. (laughs) That I'm afraid of people to see that material and then do their bullshit internet judging on it. Right. And so on a smaller scale, I was like, I don't know if I want to turn this over to somebody to be judged. But then more importantly, I thought, I don't know if I want somebody else to dicker with my creation. Right. Because it's mine. There's a difference between like not wanting to do an actual play for the entirety of YouTube to see and not wanting to give your notes to one other person right. in your gaming group who you presumably trust and enjoy the company. Right. But these are the two You're tangents. saying you don't want to do either. You're right. The two tangents okay. that sort of ran in my head. Okay. Now, I'm going to do the first one, right? Because he's my buddy and I love him and I want him to run a good game and I know that he's nervous about being a game master and so anything that I can do that it was to assist him, I'm going to do whether I'm prickly about, ooh, that NPC wouldn't have done that or whatever, right? I mean, mm-hmm. on, on a certain level, that's bullshit. It doesn't matter. So I'm going to give him my notes. Right. right. I mean, it's, of course, it's bullshit. Right. It's totally trivial. Right. You should not feel embarrassed. What are they going to say? That your level three elf was stupid and you're a bad person. Right. And you're wrong right. at gaming. Right. Precisely. <laughs> but, that's, but that's exactly why I would never put my stuff on the Internet. Right. Uh, because that guy would drive me crazy. Who cares about that but guy? I, that guy's a hack. I know. But it doesn't matter. No. It would still like criticism is only valid in that it is multiplied by the value of the criticizer. Yeah, if you right. ignore that value it. is zero. It's yeah. worth nothing. Yeah. If you ignore what? it, it's doesn't matter. It's worth zero. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have I don't have that kind of backbone. I don't think. <laughs> backbone, smackbone. This is no balls. calculus or 
I'll yeah, all right. So I see two topics in here. And I'm not sure which one you're chasing specifically, but it's I'm not. I'm throwing it out there. We just we're getting right into all it. All right, all right. We're just gonna let it go. And well, we I, did not premeditate talking about Brodor, anticipating that a game would die immediately, <laughs> planning a backup game rather than having the hard conversation. Yes, I was hoping, waiting. I, I don't even know. This is fantastic. I was told several <laughs> dinners ago to not tread the topic. Well, no. <laughs> there's a difference between exploring the topic and beating it to death to the point that we have no original conversation on right. the so mics. This is a starkly original conversation. This yes. is real talk. So, just so we, because these are the real problems gaming groups face that nobody addresses that right. fester for years within the same freaking group of people. Right. Well, and I mean, point one, I've ninja fired people, sort of snuck them out of the group. Mm-hmm. I've deliberately gotten rid of people and not mm-hmm. game with them. But... I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that I want to encourage your creativity, right? I want Umberto to run a good game, and I want to support him, right? But I also recognize that everybody else is anticipating it not going well. And so, whatever, let's have the backup, right? Let's have the 2 a.m. booty call. You are at least going to give it the college try. Yes, I am. And you are, in fact, excited to play the game. I am. I mean, if you're not excited to play the game the day after you rolled the character, come on. Right. Do something else. But at least you passed that sniff test. Right. I've only turned my notes over one time, if you don't count the publication of Blood Moon Goblins. Uh, A friend of mine, a a very good gamer that's been a PC in several of my games and I've been a PC with for many years now, wanted to take her first crack at GMing and wanted my goblin material. And I gave it to her and uh, it didn't quite work out. The game didn't really get off the ground. She was like in the third trimester of pregnancy before she even started preparing. So that was kind of a major hurdle 10 feet up the road that we failed to overcome in that campaign attempt. But I would generally advise people to make up their own thing. I mean, I make up my own thing. I yeah. haven't seen that. Well, I, you I would know, never let go me to give someone a, and say, give me your notes. I'm continuing this. Let me give you a devil's advocate thing here. Well, and John, let me put that topic aside because continuing someone else's game is the other topic I saw in here. Because if you pass off your notes, that's really what you're enabling. Yes. Is. And this was in fact, exactly right. what was supposed, supposed to, to be the topic yes. before. Right. And supposed to happen when I gave that player. <laughs> right. Notes. So, right. But we're going to put that topic aside. Okay. My situation is one of inspiration, right? He wants to do a several decade time jump, but wants to be inspired from what I had done. previously. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So picking up somebody else's game, we're going to put off as another topic. Maybe we'll get to this episode. Maybe not. But instead, let's just talk about handing off your notes to somebody else. Okay. And I don't know that, at least in principle, I have an issue with it. Now, in practice, I do. In fact, I just wrote down four or five issues. You have an issue, or you actually, in practice, give people notes? Uh, I have not often done it, because people have not often asked. But what I can say is, I'm not against doing it in principle for a couple reasons. First off... If we accept the idea that modules are a thing and that they're a useful thing, they're certainly a thing for yeah. a significant portion of the hobby, a measurable portion of the hobby, yes. then what really is passing off your notes in principle? We'll get to in practice in a minute. Really, more than giving somebody a, a module, module you wrote. Now, I realize in practice there's issues there, which I'll get to in a second. The other thing that it does is it allows people to see your method. Mm. And this is why I, I, I once that. and only That's, once mm. have I passed off my game notes 
to the Fear the Boot audience as a whole. It's in the resource documents. I'll link it from the show notes because that resource documents thing just sits there gathering dust. <laughs> so in case people have forgotten it even exists, somewhere in I there, forgot it existed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, somewhere in there are some game notes of mine. And the reason I passed them off, and there was an episode that went with it where I explained them, was to show people how I build a game. And I think there's an educational opportunity in that. So I think there is some value to passing off your notes to somebody else. Now, in practice, I almost never do it and don't like the idea. And I've got several reasons for that. The first one, and this is one where I don't know so much that I would clash with any of you guys, but I know Chad and I would have a pretty firm disagreement. I am a big believer in taking material that I've used before, and if either the material was not used, the game died before we got there, or it's a different group of people, dusting it off, fixing it up, and using it again. Guilty. I think it's a great idea because it's like a first draft. And then if you get to run it again for a different group of people, you can clean it up. Yes, and sometimes it's fascinating to see how they handle it differently or whatever. Chad has said many times that once he does something, he's done with that and doesn't want to come back to it. I don't feel that way. There are campaign ideas, I can tell you, I have been sitting on for years. Yes. I I have seen you dissatisfied because you were running a game in the same time and the same system, but it wasn't an idea you had in the 90s that you really wanted to run with, and you therefore hated it from day zero. Yes. I've seen you run a game that went over a year long that you disliked the entire time because we weren't in a particular Battletech unit that came from a game you ran in the Reagan years. That is not entirely false. <laughs> okay, because I was there. I think it may have actually been the Bush, Water, Clinton years. Whatever. Yes. You get my point. I get your point and guilty as charged. But the fact is that I absolutely will recycle material. Single best Star Trek game I ever ran. This was not one any of you guys were in. But I ran a Star Trek campaign for Carla and then some people that I used to be friends with years back. This was not the family groups that I okay. had for Star Trek. Actual gamers. Yeah, this this was more of a, a typical group of gamers. But Carla loves Star Trek, so she said, I don't know, this was like 2000, 2001, something like that. And what I did was I went back, because remember, Star Trek was my first role-playing game. I went back and took a lot of the ideas that I came up with as an obnoxious teenager and barely a teenager, maybe even not a teenager, because I was in junior high at the time, matured them, cleaned them up, reorganized them, put it into a plot line, and it was the single best Star Trek game I have ever run. Players loved it. I loved it. It was just one of those games for the ages. And if I had simply just taken that and ditched it, or taken those notes and passed them off to my group such that they now know what the plot and the ideas are, gone. It's unusable anymore. And so that's reason number one why I'm not sure in practice I would want to do it. I'll pause here to give you guys a chance to jump in because I've still got more reasons why I wouldn't do this. I mean, I I will offer, I don't know if I agree exactly with Chad on the point, but I, I agree with the thrust of his opinion that he's not personally interested in rerunning a campaign that he's run before. I don't think I've ever done that. I don't want to do it. When I look across the broad swath of RPG territory, all the people I could play with, all the games I could run or play, uh, it would never occur to me that resetting a previous campaign uh, with new people would be the most exciting thing I could possibly do. Dan, in fact, I think you cause yourself a bit of unnecessary distress by being 
so motivated to go back and run Stonekeep or run Silver Scorpions or what have you. I mean, I don't I don't know that I've seen you truly satisfied with a game concept that you haven't run either in a homebrew setting and system of mm-hmm. your own origin or calling back to a campaign that you really loved that you ran already before. There have there have and been I think a few, you really limited yourself. There have that. been a few I think I would enjoy that were genuinely brand new material that were always shot down in the pitch phase. Right. And right. that we've covered right. that topic. No, right. and, and, and you're and you're salty about that. Yes. You, you wish people would play campaign arcs that you came up with in the 90s. No, no, no. I mean even brand new ones. Oh, 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 okay. I'm talking completely brand new ones. Okay, okay. Where I've like, hey, let me do this. It's completely brand new. Right, right, right. It, there's this not retreading anything. It gets shot down. And so then I'm kind of back to like, right. well... Right, and we've done, we've, ta- we've talked, we've done this episode, yeah. Okay. yeah so that, that's my only counterpoint. Okay. My only counterpoint is I think you might have more fun if you detached yourself from the affection that you feel for recalling your old campaigns and did a little bit more that wasn't straight in your box, like dead on. Well, and you, we also have to take note that you were saying he's nervous about being a GM, right? Is this like one of his first campaigns? Yeah. See, I there think that that, have it. that is a good. That's merit. how it like, was with my player as well, right? Like if it's somebody who's new, you know, maybe. Maybe it is something you want to do because, yeah, you're giving away your material, but at the same time, you're helping out somebody who's pretty nervous in something. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's it's very different than like if my uh, if my if my friend who slams bitches on Saturday nights, <laughs> if he had asked me for his notes, that guy keeps coming. No, back. <laughs> I love him. So if he asked me for my notes, absolutely not. And here's the thing, because it's not about inspiration. It's about destroying me. Right. It's about okay. crawling into my mind okay. and beating me. Right. So, no, Brent, you will never have my okay. notes. But for this other guy, for John Aaron, it's great. But other than, you know, kind of this sort of, you know, childish proprietary concern I have, mm-hmm. I'm more concerned is, will it even be helpful? Right. Right. Because yes. they're a mess. Yes. Right. That like, was no my, one can yes. make sense yes. of it right. but me. Yes. That was my second point is a lot of my notes are illegible. Right. It's a series of ideas, quick jots of memory triggers of things that would be useful to me. But if you asked to see them. It would just be phrases and disjointed sentences, proper nouns. It would mean nothing. So here's what we got to do is do a Facebook thing where people are just, we're just going to do scanning and put pictures of our notes on. (laughs) No, no. I mean, it it wouldn't even be word salad. Right. It'd just be like word vomit. I'm I'm the opposite. I I am such a neat freak that I'll write game notes. That are illegible, and then I'll rewrite them to be right, and then oh throw the old ones away. I am such a neat freak, though. Like That's what I had to do when I published the game notes for our listeners to look at for that Skies of Glass game. I had to go back and drastically clean them up yeah. because they weren't legible. I mean, there was nothing that anyone but me could have intuited from that information. There was simply nothing useful there. Yeah, that's just my life. That's just, <laughs> yeah. that's just what I do. I think even if you can read the material, though, the dial of GMing is so idiosyncratic. Everyone does it a little differently. Some people do it radically differently than other people. And that bleeds through preparation and into running for a new player, it is probably easier, even if you don't think it would be, to start from nothing and do whatever you think is the most intuitive thing to do than to start from, okay, I need to think of what Brodor would do or do it, or I need to think of what John would do and do it. Well, um, It's kind of a, it looks like a training device or a crutch, but I think it's a bad deal. I think it's a cursed item. 
Hmm. Well, why why hand over notes and not sit down and talk about the setting? Because it sounds like that's all he wants. Well, I think for I think that what he wants is he wants details about okay, who is the captain of the guard in this particular ward of the city, and what was you know what are their what are their sort of character bullet points about personality and motivation, what their long game is, or what their ultimate goal is. Okay, right? so he actually wants character, right? So I think okay. that he wants to do that so people who are of appropriate age, fantasy, race combinations that might still be alive in his timeline could still be around or, or if there's something that, epic it was in history precisely somewhere. precisely and okay. so that's what he so he's looking for not just inspiration but i think that he's looking for uh, essentially what's the word i'm looking for essentially a good origin point right okay. a good a good start spot right. to then right. leap right. into the rest of the game right. something that you're handed to revise is always less intimidating than a blank document right but it comes with baggage and GMing is so improvisational and so unique to the GM. I don't think the baggage is worth it. Right. Well, and that was something I was going to ask is, isn't there a concern here that if he's going to try and use your notes and he's a new GM and he's nervous about it, that he's going to look at this and be trying too hard to emulate you yes, as, as opposed to yes. being himself. Because, I mean, at least a module, you don't know the person that wrote it. Right. And mm-hmm. it's written to be completely self-contained and all that other crap. It's not hooks. Mm-hmm. And I would be concerned that if I went to a new GM and gave them the sorts of notes that I create, that they would be so fixated on how I did it or trying to guess how I would have done it, that they're really not developing their own style. They're just emulating me. Agreed. And one of the virtues of modules, maligned as they are, is that they are understandable. There's a box with a one on it, and then there's a letter A or whatever in the bottom that has the monsters in the room, the trap in the room, a box of text to read in gray print that is what you see when you walk in. Like, you can get it. Most GMs, at least most GMs who aren't very, very new and emulating modules themselves, don't prepare exclusively in that way. When I go forward for a game, I want, what's my bad guy timeline? What do people want? Who can help? Who can hurt? What goes on what street corner? And then go from there. You know, I don't start with a box of gray text that I read to the players and then a series of largely linear decisions that they can fall into with the appropriate reward tables and the hit points for the monsters. Those are better in the hands of newer DMs than Dan Scribbles or Brodor Scribbles or Julia Perfectly 12-point handwritten <laughs> typewriter pencil. With the actual gray box. Yes, with the, the actual gray box over it's, the text. It's a chalicize. Right. No, but even, even Julia, I'm sure when you prepare, you don't write a module. I don't. You don't write a key that, a, that someone else could just pick up from a shelf and run straight out of the box down a more or less linear adventure. Right. When I do very, very few GMs do that in their own prep. And that, that limits the usefulness of those materials to another GM. And and I have to, and I've talked about it a little bit on, on the show before. I mean, I'm much better than I used to be about taking notes and, and organizing things for the game, but I'm still not great at it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still not, I mean, there's a lot that goes on at the table that either a happened on the fly Mm -hmm. or there's very little preparation for or worse yet happened on the fly it was great and i didn't take very good notes yes of it. you have to capitalize you have to remember those things on the floor. that was going to be one of my well these are actually kind of my next two points point three is my notes are oftentimes incomplete i didn't write down everything there were things that 
I maybe just put a little note to kind of remind myself. Maybe I wasn't really feeling that creative. And so I decided I was just going to wing the session. I was just going to make it up improv it as I went. And so the notes simply don't convey all of the information that somebody might want. And then related to that was the other thing you just hit on Brodor was point four. The notes are wrong or incomplete for a different reason, which is when the game actually started occurring, when the rubber hit the road to dust that one off, <laughs> that's not how it went. You know, I wrote down that it was supposed to go this way and these things were going to happen, but the players went another direction. And all of a sudden, my notes don't really work. They don't really convey what actually occurred in the world. Or maybe this one NPC over here in this town was supposed to have this name and this bit of information, but they skipped the town. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden that NPC, or at least that NPC's basic information and whatever else, got moved to somebody else. And so somebody looking at my notes would be like, oh, well, it was Bob the Blacksmith who did this. Well, no, in truth, Bob the Blacksmith was never even encountered. You know, this information got spread across three NPCs. I think that those are two other big hurdles is the incompleteness of my notes and then the inaccuracy of my notes. Yeah, yeah the mere fact that the in-universe reality of the situation almost never reflects perfectly the intended distribution of what was going where in your notes before you started the game. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the end of my sessions never look exactly what my notes at the beginning did. And thank God, because that would be boring as hell. Like the only way you can combat that is hope that you have a really good record keeper and you right. compare them. Yep. In my current game, I do have a very good record keeper because um, here's a gaming story. My wife's character is a scribe by by oh. by back <laughs> by background. And so it's amazing because her, her, her character journalizes everything that happens. Right. So she's writing essentially her journal entry as we're playing the game. And then she types it up and, and then emails it to me. And then I print it up and I have it in my game notes. Yeah, so with all see, of my session notes, I get one character's mm, perspective point of, point of view. in character on how it happened. I've typically had cool. pretty good yeah. note takers as well. In my older gaming groups, Mike used to take, not you, but yeah. the other Mike, he used to take really good notes on what's going on in the game. And my family group, my youngest sister, Rebecca, she takes really good notes on what's going on. So I can't say in every group, but in most of my groups, there's been somebody because it's just part of what I do is if I'm going for one of my longer games, they're fairly complex. And so usually somebody ends up just opting to at least take loose notes on what's occurring. And yeah, I've had to do that myself. I try to update my notes as I go. So if something changes, I at least do a little margin scribble that, okay, this NPC got renamed this and moved over here or, or something. But there have been times I've had to refer back to the player and be like, so wait a minute, I've got one thing in my notes, but I know that's not what happened. Right. Where did you guys encounter this? If I'd hit that big lottery, right? just dreaming yeah a stenographer i would have a <laughs> i would have a gaming stenographer so i could just have somebody sitting in the corner doing that and then have them actually do a transcript of each game i have that hired be... stenographers before brodor i could put you in touch oh my god because i've talked i've thought about re just recording my games right yeah. just you know yeah, getting a nice recorder and record the game and yeah. then listen to it later and mm -hmm. take my notes what have you but a stenographer so just be like a uh, excuse me, Mary, what 
what? How much damage happened last encounter? <laughs> how much damage was done? I last have done that in yeah. depositions. It's thrilling until you actually get it in the mail and you, all you see is this forest of um, uh, uh, uh maybe, uh, perhaps, uh, and it's like, oh. Well. See, I'm actually in a game that gets recorded, and it's it's nice because we can go back and listen. Like the holiday break, you know, games kind yeah. of fall apart for a little um. while. So we came back to a session and we we're all like, duh. And so we re-listened and we were like, oh yeah, now we know where That's we're at. That's you know, really cool. It's it's really nice to have that, actually. That's why actual plays are kind of kind of neat. Because yeah. <laughs> you could go back and listen to it and not have to piss your GM off because you don't remember our every little detail. Right, and then you can be re- you can, you can really be just tenaciously <laughs> yes. hold on to every slight or, or better, that is done to you. You can <laughs> cite things at your GM yeah. that happened <laughs> that you were relying on him remembering. Right. I enjoy having the recorded version. So how do people actually have the how do they have the wherewithal to then take their game notes and go one instead of I'm not just giving it to my friend, right? I'm giving it to the world. I'm going to put it on the interwebs and just let anyone read it and comment and dig into it and look at it. I mean, I would do that if it had a purpose. Right. Well, you kind of have to have a little bit more balls than you, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) I will look at what we do here. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the nature of anything, which is you have to be prepared to put yourself out there. Sure. I mean, we've been very lucky that in the nine and a half years of doing Fear the Boot, People have been overwhelmingly very positive, very patient, very supportive. But we've had people say some really nasty things toward us. We've had people do some really nasty things toward us. And it's just part of the territory of putting yourself out there. Once again, I feel really lucky because, generally speaking, people on the Internet are dicks. I mean, go look at the comments in a YouTube video. Oh, and man. It, <laughs> They're it's, severely entertaining. Yeah, or go look up at any major hashtag that's trending on Twitter that's not specifically comedy, anything that's political or social or whatever. And holy crap, I mean, just people on every side are just losing their damn minds over it. And you just kind of have to make the decision that what I've done, I want feedback on, or maybe I don't even care about the feedback. But I feel that it's useful enough to somebody that if it's going to help this one person, then fine. Let everybody else be a dick and just do it. it that's part of what goes on with doing the show is there are certain things, yes, that we edit or we hold back or we've refined or ways that we come across as persona or whatever to try and insulate ourselves a bit. But to some extent, we just have to get on the show and do our thing. And some people don't respond well to that so so here's what's funny i can sit here and and talk about hitting a cop or smacking my my wife in the mouth with vomit or have an opinion that somebody doesn't like and and and, (laughs) do those three things exist side by side in terms of severity to you or social inappropriate what what i'm saying is is that i can can wear a gore t-shirt and bear my love of abba on the mics and i'm not there's really almost nothing that i'm afraid to to talk about on the mics right. and have people comment on yeah. whether they like okay. it or they don't. But for me, my big hangup is is that this is something that I created, right? That I took it didn't out, come of my, out of your mouth, right? That actually... I took out of my imagination and I and I and I put it into the world and and hoped that it would be appreciated, right? And I have a hard time sharing that. Well, creativity is an mm. incredibly personal act, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, consumption in some ways is not. Because with consumption, somebody else created it. You simply like it. Why you like it is even possibly multifaceted or one of many possible facets. 
Creativity's not. It's 100% you. It's pure self-expression. And you put yourself into that. And when somebody says it sucked, they're really, by extension, saying the creator sucked. And in many cases, they do say it that way. They say, you know, they don't say, I don't like so-and-so's writing. They say, I don't like so-and-so. Yeah, right. but what did you make, Dick? Link me to your drive through RPG profile, and if you're going to come at me... Show me what you're selling. Oh, like, I don't like, disagree. I don't disagree with this in the yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just does not scare me at all. So, I just do not care. So what Julia just said was that I should grow a pair and quit my job and write. No, 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 no. <laughs> Trust me, there is no economic no demand money. for other people's games. Yeah. Well, not much at any rate. Not, not just much. Stop caring. I'm I mean, not saying quit your job. I'm saying. Oh, I want to quit my job. I know you want to quit your job. Everybody <laughs> wants to quit their job. I'm saying, like, if some YouTube commenter comes along and says that your game notes are wrong and you're a terrible gamer and you're a bad GM and you should uninstall Dungeons and Dragons, like, <laughs> who cares so about that guy? What? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as an example, let's take the most consumed YouTuber out there, PewDiePie. I've never watched a single one of the dude's videos. I know he exists. I was just reading, I think it was on Forbes. They were ranking the top 10 people who make money off of YouTube mm -hmm. by the amount made. And PewDiePie is number one. They estimate he takes in about $12 million a year just for making his YouTube videos. Okay. Now, <laughs> here's the point. Doing? You go into the commentary in his videos. It ain't 100% thumbs up and it's not 100% positive comments. He's knocking down $12 million and obviously has a whole lot of more support than he does hate. But... I don't know. I mean, you still kind of have to take that hmm. when you put yourself out there. And, Jonna, what you're saying is completely true. And I wonder if to some extent, and I've, I've this is something I have been chewing on for years, is how much of it is difference in personality versus difference in generation. The, yes. and I say that because being roughly 10 years older, Broder and I being 10 years older than you two, mm -hmm. we grew up in an age where... The closest thing you had to the internet was local BBSs. Let's stress local. You probably knew some number of these people. And I don't mean new as in I've swapped emails. I mean, you went to school with them, whatever. And most people didn't even use those. If you said something, you had to say it to somebody's face. Yeah, or you, you guys grew up in an age when anonymous drive-by posting was the norm. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if there's some level of social programming that has made you guys a little bit more able to kind of just let that flow off like water off rain x whereas to our generation on average accepting everyone is individually different right. yes chad cares less than i do for example but if we look at generational trends i wonder if once again if we drop back a decade from brodor and me mm -hmm. or a few millennia from chris that <laughs> you know <laughs> It's this was the culture you guys were raised in. Well, was is just that that background posting being is able just, to ignore it. Yeah, it's just part of the noise. It's just always there. Well, and I I think it's both because I mean, do you get stage fright, Brodor? No, no. Okay. Well, well okay. Fine. For a split second, okay. Like if I was standing up in front of a crowd of you know sixty or seventy retailers and I had to do a talk, there will be that split second right the before my mouth where my gut is just wrenched, and as soon as I talk, oh. it's gone. Well, I mean, I'm just I'm on stage all the time, like or well, I used to be, and not anymore. But I, I'm a singer. I was on stage constantly, and so I just really did not give a shit what half the people thought because 
in the past, I'd been in competitions and I'm getting like A pluses, which is good in choirs. So I know I'm not bad. So if this person's being a dick, they're just being Where's a dick. Where's an A plus bad? <laughs> Continue. It's actually one plus, not an A plus. One plus. I have an answer for you. Hepatitis diagnosis. <laughs> That's true. So what I'm saying is like, I, I think that people in our generation, yes, they do have that. But I think that John and I are very similar in that we can talk and get up in front of anybody and say anything to anybody. Somebody who, who I'm trying to think of, a, I have several friends that probably couldn't do that. And they would have a harder time putting stuff on the internet. Right. Yeah. So let me talk about the second topic that Broder raised, which is the concept of passing off a game. You've been running a game for X amount of time. And along comes somebody else who wants to pick it up because you've lost interest in running it. You're about to move to another state. Maybe they even want to do a generational thing like you were talking about where, okay, I'm not going to run your game directly, but this is going to be a descendant game of yours where we're going to skip down a generation or two and keep going with it. And I was thinking through what figures into that of trying to successfully pass a game from one game master to another when it is either the same or a very closely related game. And you're okay. What is that? I'm just, I'm just thinking like, I I don't, I don't know, man. It's just like, it's like, and my wife, I, I don't want the next guy to be better than I was, right? Like, I just, I, I, you know, I, I just, I don't want to pass off the game and everybody's like, oh, holy crap, this is amazing. Like, we're so stoked we're playing Dan's version of Mike's Midnight Game, you know? Wow. Yeah. Mike, uh, you, you need to, like, grow some balls and get over it, man. You're just afraid of everything or... or Pettily jealous of yeah, the things you're not afraid not, of. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disputing any of right. that. I'm, I'm bearing my soul. No, you're bearing your soul, yeah. and I accept your soul. <laughs> that is actually I'm telling you to be different. That's what I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> about this interaction. Is the candor? Oh God, he spit it. Don't spit on no, the I'm, okay. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, it was. It was. It was Dan who's not wearing pants, or the I'm pregnant wore- lady. <laughs> Those were my target choices. I'm wearing shorts. Uh, well, you're showing some moose knuckle. Uh, what? <laughs> First of all, no, I'm not. Secondly, why are you looking? All right. So if you, and you're worried about people making you feel on the spot from your game flaws are showing to your nuts are showing. I didn't say it was unpleasant. <laughs> moose knuckle isn't even nuts. Anyway, you were saying that. Okay, so <laughs> first off, both sides have to accept it's not the original Game Master. This story may be a continuation, whether directly or by leap of a generation from what was told before, but you have to accept this is somebody else taking a swing at it. It's sort of like the same way when a movie franchise goes from writer to writer or director to director. You walk in accepting that it's not going to be the same. Whatever it is you liked better, or maybe you didn't like any of them, Tim Burton's Batman, Nolan's Batman, and whatever, you accept these are not going to be the same Batman. And I think you have to accept that as well coming in. And if you can't, if you can't separate this is somebody else's spin on it, then you're probably dead out of the gate. Related to that, you have to accept that canon has just changed. If something has not been established in the past, Shut up about it. Doesn't matter what you had in your notes. Doesn't matter what you intended to do. This setting, this story now belongs to the person who is game mastering it. 
And in fact, I was actually going to go on point three here is to recommend that the person who's picking the game up should probably alter it intentionally. And I think this is partially because if the game master is still there as a player, this keeps them from knowing where everything is headed. Even if the game master is not present, it's a way of marking your territory. It's a way of saying, this is my game. I'm going to force myself to tell it my way and therefore pick something. And I would suggest, as counterintuitive as this sounds, gratuitously change it. I think that's good advice. Change it just for the sake of changing it so it is yours. The fourth suggestion that I had is if the game master is still available and you want to get some idea of what they were trying to do, or you didn't totally understand how seemingly contradictory ideas fit together or whatever, sit down and discuss it with them. I've had people pick up my games, not often, but I have had people pick up a few of my games, and I've passed the notes to them. And we have a powwow or two where we sit down and we discuss it. I go over my notes, I explain to them what I was doing, I explain to them how it all fit together, and of course I accept from this point forward it's theirs. But I will still explain to them this is why it was working the way it was, so they have some kind of an educated view of what it all meant and how it all fit together. So when they go to the group, they're not just blindly trying to fumble their way through my mess. I don't know if you have to deliberately, like, upper deck the toilet just to claim that it's yours <laughs> but, straight but out the do game you need to make it your own I, you do need yeah. to make it your own i don't i don't think you need to make like the canon destroying moment like the cutscene at the beginning of the back to the future film where marty comes running back right after he went to the future to be like oh my god it's different now while effective in that context i don't think you need it in an rpg Mm-mm. but yes i mean there needs to be a surrender ceremony where the previous guardian of canon answers any questions that may be had and then says, all right, this is your baby now. Well, I don't get to I, veto you anymore. followed by summary execution. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, and I guess I probably should do on that a bit. No, I'm not suggesting you need the Marty McFly run back moment. I'm not suggesting you need to destroy Vulcan just to make a point. But <laughs> there you go. I, I think more what I'm saying is if you cannot look into that setting or those notes and find a place where you're already interpreting it in your own way, if you cannot already see a place you want to take it a different direction, then there may be some value in picking something, no matter how small, and changing it. I guess just kind of as a way of forcing yourself to break that rut, to just yeah, maybe to uh, some moment of self liberation of saying, you know, that this is mine. I don't know. Maybe. I think you should self liberate from other people's GM notes and just run your own freaking ideas because the limits of creativity are rather uh, far flung frontiers. So, John, let me ask you something from the standpoint of a player. Sure. You mentioned earlier that there was a campaign that I was running that I was a bit annoyed with from start to finish for a variety of reasons. Yes. And despite... Actually, the favorite... My favorite game that you have ever run that I have been in was that campaign, despite you being annoyed at it the entire time. I had a blast. Let's say, okay, at the moment when I decided I just can't do this anymore... If somebody else who you trusted to GM that game, okay, so a GM you like and thought would do a good job with Battletech said, if Dan gives me the notes, I will take the game over. How would you have felt about that? I would have been disappointed that you no longer wanted to continue, but if it was a GM that had a high degree of credibility with me, I would have accepted it and continued to play. So let me ask, how then do you square that with what you just said? To be original. Exactly. That you'd rather see somebody ditch the notes and be original. Oh, that wasn't a, a... 
I'm not saying you're being dogmatic. I'm just right, trying. Right, right. I'm just trying to understand what the nuance is. I'm not trying to I, I'm, trap I'm, you. Yeah, I'm not saying that because of my general preference, I would stand up and leave the room if another GM wanted to take another other GM's notes and pick it up and keep running. Particularly if it was in a situation where I was very much enjoying the campaign and didn't want it to end. Right. I'm just saying that if it was that situation and Wayne said, I want the campaign, I would have been delighted, but on some level, I probably would have still preferred to have seen Wayne Dresden or or whatever was bubbling up in his head as opposed to his attempt to keep something going that was really yours. It was done in your style. It was in a time and a place and a setting and a system that was very dear to you that you knew front and back. You'd had multiple layers of NPC factions going. You'd had a greater overarching plot that you had been developing. I don't know. I, I would have seen how it was handled, but I, I can I can almost guarantee you that that well, adding a caveat, I will guarantee you. If a GM that I believe in would have picked that up, I would have preferred to see an original campaign from that GM, even though I would have played in and probably enjoyed the extension of Battletech. Right. Because I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I would find the transition difficult from one game master to the next, especially playing the same characters. I mean, so we're watching Save it Pri- Saving Private Ryan, and then suddenly it becomes Inglorious Bastards. It loses yes. something, right? The mm-hmm. vibe of the game, the energy, the themes, they change so dramatically. And individually, fo- they're good, but right. being but- a continuation, it makes it noticeable. Right, exactly. And that's the part that as a player, I'd have a hard yeah. time with that. I've just never had anybody continue a game in our group, so I have no idea. I've never. It's not happened it. often. Yeah, I have seen it happen, but yeah, it's not happened often because it seems that usually that what's going on is the next game master has their own passions, has their own yeah. plot ideas, has whatever, and it's not that they had anything against the prior campaign, but that's just not the creative passion they've got. Now, once again, I have seen it happen. But it's certainly not the norm. I, it's far more common for the next GM not to just feel like, well, this is a weird idea socially that I'm trying to fill somebody else's shoes. But they just say, look, I don't even want to. Yeah. Even if I could do it perfectly, yeah. my passion's for X, not Y. My passion's exactly. for whatever. Ending good arcs, ending bad arcs. I have never gotten to the end of an arc as a PC and thought, holy crap, I want to take over next episode as a GM and just pick it up and run from there. I just did yeah. not even cross my mind. I didn't mm-hmm. even imagine it until this conversation or right. discussion was brought up, you know, two hours ago or whatever. So I think that's where we're going to end this one. We got through what we wanted to talk about. We actually have some additional topics not related to the ones we did discuss that we'll just hold off for next episode, some things that John threw my way. So hopefully John will be back next time so we can cover those. I will be in town next week. Okay, excellent. Then hopefully we'll have you on the mic so we can get back to these dungeon design topics you threw my way. And that'll give me some time to look at the material you're basing it on. So in the meantime... Play Super Metroid if you haven't lately. You should every couple of years. It's fantastic. And don't play Other M. Oh, yeah. No, don't play Other M. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. 
You can find other great shows on this network at pulpgamer.com. <laughs>